Section 13 of The Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 11, Part 1. The Lookout Party on the Island a slave caravan, unwelcome visitors, three dows chased, wreck of the dows, rescuing the slaves, dangerous position of the party on shore, the crewmen cross the surf with supplies, tenderness of the sailors to the slaves, washing a blackamoor white. As Jack was not perfectly satisfied with the anchorage near Harpy Island, he proceeded farther north to a spot which answered all his requirements, off a lofty headland with a deep bay. On the northern side of it lay a rocky island of considerable height, with trees covering the larger portion. Here a line of battleship might have remained concealed from any vessels coming from the southward till they were within range of the ship's guns, so that she might, if necessary, compel them to strike without even getting under way. Farther north, the island assumed the low and barren appearance of that part of the African coast, a region as inhospitable and unattractive as could well be conceived. Within the bay was a smooth beach. Farther on, the coast was lined for some miles with threatening rocks, against which, should any unfortunate vessel be driven, she must quickly be dashed to pieces. The gauntlet, carefully feeling her way, came to an anchorage in the bay. The second lieutenant was at once sent on shore with a party of men to climb to the summit of the peak. No very easy task, as it turned out. However, they got up at last, and the lieutenant on his return reported that from the summit of the headland he had enjoyed a view of over fully thirty miles out to sea, and up and down the coast, so that in the daytime no vessel could pass within that distance without being sighted. Several dows had been chased and boarded, but the evidence for their condemnation had been insufficient, and with much reluctance, Jack had to let them go. Both he and all under his command would have liked to be allowed to burn every dow with a black man on board, but as such a proceeding would have been illegal, they were compelled to restrain their zeal. The gauntlet had again come to an anchor, an hour before daybreak Tom and Desmond, with a party of men, had been dispatched to make their way to the top of the headland, that they might obtain as extensive a view as possible over the ocean. As soon as the sun rose above the horizon, a ruddy glow suffused the sky. On reaching the rocky height at which they were aiming, the rocks they saw around appeared as if ready to topple down into the plain on the one side. On the other were deep crevices, sufficient to contain a number of men, thus forming a natural fortress which might be held by a small party against greatly superior odds, while here and there shrubs jutted out from the hollows in which soil, in the course of ages, had been deposited. As, however, it did not appear likely that any foe would take the trouble of climbing up to molest them, the midshipmen did not bother themselves about the advantages of their position. They valued the hollows rather as affording them at some period of the sun's course a shelter from his rays and enabling them to take a quiet snooze while off watch. The summit of the cliff, however, on which they had to make their signals to the ship, was perfectly exposed on all sides. 
and from it they could take a view not only over the ocean but across a considerable part of the country to the eastward there's a sail cried tom as he swept the wide expanse of water with his telescope and there's another and another they're coming up with a spanking breeze and we'll try the old kettle's powers to get up with them make the signal desmond she must stir up her fires and get under way pretty smartly or they will have slipped by before she can pounce down on them the signal was made and in a short time a column of black smoke was seen ascending from the funnel of the ship two of the boats were at the island with armed crews ready to pull off towards any dows which might come near enough to be overtaken the boats had already seen the signal from the headland and were pulling out from under the lee of the island the dows had not as yet apparently discovered that foes were at hand out glided the steamer her black smoke clearly indicating what she was two of the inshore dows quickly disappeared behind an intervening point almost as high as that on which tom and his party were posted the boats each selecting her prey pulled away towards two dows nearest the island while the ship steered towards three others that were somewhat farther out and ahead of the rest the wind was strong they were all carrying moderate sail and as they made no apparent effort to escape it was supposed that they were legal traders such for some time apparently was the commander's opinion as the ship's head was seen to be turning more to the southward towards one of the other dows just then a sail of one of the leading dows was seen to come down she's carried something away exclaimed tom and the ship can easily overhaul her no she hasn't exclaimed desmond see she's only been shifting a canvas and presently in spite of the fresh breeze an enormous sail was spread in lieu of the smaller one the other dows followed her example and the ship was quickly in chase of them setting as she went along sail after sail and as the broad sheets of white canvas were expanded to the breeze her speed was evidently increased she's not got her full steam up yet observed desmond when she has she'll be after them like a shot the shot must fly pretty fast then see how they bowl along cried tom look two of them are edging in for the land while the third holds a course the ship seems doubtful which she will follow they may all be rogues together or the last may be honest and only wishes to lead her a wild goose chase for the sake of favoring the others no the commander has made up his mind that the last is no better than the rest see he's determined to make her heave to at all events as tom spoke a puff of white smoke was seen to fly out from the bow of the gauntlet and the faint sound of a gun reached their ears another and another followed forming curves in the air the ship was throwing shells over and around the nearest dow to frighten her into submission for some time she stood on when she too altered her course to the westward this was probably what jack desired because he might thus hope to capture two or three vessels instead of one two other guns were now discharging shot and shell from the port bow i wish i was on board cried tom surely one or other of the rascals must be caught it was doubtful however whether this would be the case one thing alone was clear that all the three vessels had slaves on board or rather than run the risk of being struck they would immediately have hauled down their sails tom now turned his attention to the boat which were still at some distance from the southernmost dows and seemed likely to cut them both off the other two had not reappeared but had probably found anchorage in a bay to the southward not supposing perhaps that they had been seen 
Hurrah! exclaimed Desmond, who had been watching the ship. She's brought down the sail of one of the rascals, and is firing away sharply to prevent her rehoisting it. Some few more minutes passed. She's up to her, he cried. See, she's shortening sail, which will help to give the other fellows a better chance of escaping, but she'll not be long about it. Once more the sails were sheeted home, and the ship rushed forward after her prey, the boat she had lowered appearing like a small speck on the ocean, close to the dhow about to be boarded. The steamer was now in hot chase after the other two dhows, still considerably ahead of her, and making apparently for the shore, from which she was endeavoring to turn them by a rapid discharge of shot and shell. The boat's crew she had left behind were quickly in possession of the dhow, the Arabs, as far as could be seen, having made no resistance. I thought the coast was rocky all the way to the north, observed Tom. If those dows run on shore, they'll be knocked to pieces in no time, and every human being on board them drowned. I heard the master say only yesterday that there were only one or two sandy beaches of no great extent some miles on, and I suppose the dows are making for them, though I shouldn't have thought they had got so far, answered Desmond. I only hope the ship won't be knocking her nose on the rocks in her eagerness to get hold of the fellows. No fear of that, said Tom. My brother Jack is too careful to do so bungling a thing, though he's ready enough to run every risk when necessary. He wouldn't esteem your remark as a compliment. I don't doubt his judgment, said Desmond, though if you are not on board to give him the benefit of your advice, he may be after getting into a scrape. But I say, what are the other two boats about? I had almost forgotten them. Tom turned his telescope to the southeast in which direction the white bulging sails of the dows could be seen shining brightly as they floated above the blue ocean, while the boats lay ahead of them like two crouching savage animals waiting for their prey. They were more than a mile apart, so that they could render no assistance to each other, but apparently they considered that that would not be necessary, as the Arabs, even if they had slaves on board, were not likely to offer any resistance with a man of war in sight. There was no escape for either of the dows for the surf broke upon every part of the coast visible to the southward with a fury which must preclude all hope of escape to any human being on board. And thus, if they intended to fight, they must be prepared to conquer and run ahead of the ship while she was engaged with their companions nearer the shore. Still, there was sufficient probability of their doing so to make Desmond and Tom, with all the men on the rock, watch the proceedings with intense interest. On flew the dows, their bulging sails swelling in the breeze, and the white foam flying up under their low bows. Matson, the second lieutenant, commanded one of the boats and the senior mate the other. The object of the dows, since they could not avoid the boats, was to try and give them the stem. But the English officers were not to be caught so at a disadvantage. The second lieutenant's boat was nearest in. As the dow came dashing on, the lieutenant ran his boat alongside, and he and his men, like ants, could be seen scrambling up over the bulwarks. Some small, tiny puffs show that fighting was going on. Then came a pretty considerable number, though the reports which reached them sounded no louder than those of pop guns. Tom declared that he could see the flash of steel as the cutlasses glittered in the sunshine. One thing was certain, that the British crew had gained the slaver's deck, for that a slaver she was, there could be no doubt. Again, puffs of smoke were seen, and the cutlasses flashed once more, and then all was quiet. The midshipmen would have given anything to have distinguished what was going forward on deck, 
but they could only make out that the boat was alongside, and they could have little doubt that their friends were victorious. Still, the sail continued set, which was a suspicious circumstance. But the Dow is scarcely yet sufficiently to the northward to run in under the island. In the meantime, the second Dow had got up to the mate's boat, but she being still farther off, it was difficult to see what was taking place. She had a gun in her bows, which, as soon as the fighting began on board the first Dow, was fired into her antagonist. Then there came puffs of smoke from the latter, and she was presently alongside. Whether or not the English had got on board, it was impossible for some time to ascertain. Desmond thought that they were firing from the boat, while the Arabs were returning their fire from the Dow. Whether or not such was the case, it ceased on both sides. "'Our fellows have got on board. Depend on it,' cried Tom. "'And they're making short work of it. The Arabs can never stand our fellows' cutlasses.' The second Dow, like the first, continued her course. In about a minute, down came her huge sail, making it evident that she was captured, as the Arabs, if they had been successful, would have been in a hurry to get away. The first dhow had now got sufficiently to the northward to haul in for the anchorage. Her helm was put down, and, heeling fearfully over, she made her way towards it. "'Good heavens!' cried Tom. "'What's happening to the other dhow? He had turned his glass but for a minute to look at the first when, on again glancing at the latter, her bows had disappeared, and her high stern was just sinking beneath the surface. The boat was there, but it was impossible to see who was on board. The party on the cliff were therefore left in a state of intense anxiety as to the fate of their shipmates. They could only picture to themselves numberless human beings struggling for their lives, those in the boat employed in endeavoring to pick them up. The lieutenant's party had too much to do in keeping the Arabs under to go to their assistance. By the time they could have arrived, indeed all who had not been picked up by the boat must have sunk forever. The first dhow was rapidly approaching the anchorage, and the boat, hoisting her sail, soon afterwards followed her. At all events, it was evident that their shipmates had been successful. The two midshipmen were eager to go down and meet them to hear what had happened, but they had been ordered to remain on the cliff, and could not, without being guilty of disobedience, leave their post. They had, therefore, to sit quiet and curb their impatience, while they continued to keep a lookout over the ocean. Tom and Desmond now turned their glasses towards the ship. The dhow she had captured lay with her sails lowered, waiting for her return, to be towed up to the anchorage, while she herself was still seen afar off, though at too remote a distance for her proceedings to be understood. Against the wind, however, the dhow could do nothing, and was drifting away to the northward. They were, for the present, indeed, more interested with the dhows taken by the lieutenant and the other boat. Both appeared crowded with people, Arabs and blacks, besides the seamen of the gauntlet. The boat which had carried Tom and Gerald's party on shore had returned to the ship, so that even could they have ventured to leave their post, they would not have been able to get off to satisfy their curiosity. According to the directions given, they continued looking out to the southward for the approach of any other dhows, although there was but little chance of their being stopped, as it was very evident that neither of the boats were in a condition to put off in chase of them. In a short time they saw that the boats were employed in carrying the people from the dhow to the shore, but even before they landed they were hidden from sight by the intervening rocks and trees. From the frequent trips the boats had to make, they judged that the dhow had contained a large number of slaves. By the time the blacks had been landed, three of the dhows they had at first seen had got almost up to the southern end of the island. 
why i do believe they are coming to bring up at our anchorage observed tom he was right the headmost dow hauling her wind stood close round to the north of the point as if well acquainted with the locality and although the dow at anchor must have been seen by those on board she stood on past her without lowering her sail she rounded to at some distance farther in as near indeed to the shore as it was safe to go the inside dow followed her example as did the third and all three lay close together as if no enemy existed near them they seem pretty bold fellows observed tom or else they confide in their numbers supposing each carries thirty men and i think i can count as many on their decks there must be ninety in all rather heavy odds against our boats crews who have besides their prisoners to look after i say desmond suppose they land we should be feeling rather foolish i don't think the lazy rascals would take the trouble to climb up here answered desmond and if they do we've got our revolvers and the men have their muskets and cutlasses and we shall easily be able to defend ourselves but they probably are not unprovided with long guns though they may be only matchlocks or old muskets they may contrive to pick us off while they keep at a safe distance the state of affairs had indeed become serious the midshipmen and their party were completely cut off from receiving any assistance from their shipmates on the island who might indeed also not be in a condition to afford it in all probability with the pretty severe fights both boats had had some of the men had suffered still if one whole boat's crew could be mustered lieutenant matson would scarcely fail to try and capture the three dows which had so audaciously entered the lion's den that he had not done so already made tom and desmond not a little anxious although the arabs on board the dows might have not seen the boats or the people on shore when they first entered the bay they could not fail to do so where they now lay yet instead of again weighing and standing on which would have been their wisest course they remained as quiet as if no enemy was near the midshipman's chief hope now was that the ship would quickly come back and catch the three dows before they again stood out the sea they expected every instant to catch sight of the boats pulling off to attack the dows neither appeared and at length began to fear that either lieutenant matson or collins the mate or perhaps both of them had been killed or wounded and that so many of the men had been hurt that they were unable to make the attempt the day was drawing on they had brought up a small keg of water and some provisions or they would by this time have been almost starved as under ordinary circumstances they would have been relieved at noon however as desmond observed they had to grin and bear it still not forgetful of their duty they were keeping a lookout over the ocean when one of the men exclaimed we shall have more visitors than we bargained for see mr rogers here comes a whole tribe of the rascally arabs and if they find us out we shall have a squeak for it tom turned his glass in the direction to which the man pointed there are arabs and not a few but the greater number of the people are blacks he observed by the way they are walking they must be slaves that accounts for the dows bringing up here i've no doubt it is a caravan from the interior and the poor wretches are being brought down to be embarked had the ship remained here all three would have been set free as local traders i fancy mr matson suspects something of the sort and is just waiting till they get their slaves on board to capture them now i think of it i heard him yesterday say that he had discovered a deep bite at that end of the island into which the boats could be hauled and remained perfectly concealed if that is the case the dows have not seen them 
and fancy that the people on shore, whom they can't have failed to discover, have no means of getting off. Faith, I hope that's the case, observed Desmond, for if those Arabs are coming this way were to find us out, they'd be after shooting at us in a somewhat unpleasant manner. Tom and the rest of the party could not help feeling that Desmond was right. However, they determined to make the best of a bad case, and as they were tolerably well posted, to defend themselves against all odds. In their exposed position there could be no doubt that they had already been seen, so that they could not hope to conceal themselves, which might have been their wisest course. Tom, therefore, ordered his men to fire off two muskets to attract the attention of the party on the island, trusting that they would, as soon as they saw the Arabs, push off to their assistance. No answering signal, however, being made, the midshipmen began to have serious misgivings as to what had happened. Well, my lads, cried Tom, addressing the four seamen who had accompanied him and Desmond, we'll make the best of a bad case and hold out as long as our ammunition lasts, and we've got strength to hold our swords and cutlasses. Aye, aye, sir, no fear about that, was the answer. The brown-skinned beggars won't be in a hurry to climb up here, and if they do, we'll tumble them back again faster than they came. That their men would prove staunch, the midshipmen had no fear. Still, it would be very provoking to see the Arabs embarking the slaves, and not be able to stop them. It would, however, be the height of madness to venture down from their post, for the slave traders, being all well armed, would to a certainty overpower them with numbers, and however they might have acted alone, were not likely to abandon their prey when on the point of receiving payment from the purchasers in the dows. The Arabs, who had just approached cautiously, on discovering how small was their party, looked up at them, making threatening gestures and uttering loud shouts and cries. The poor slaves, apparently, could not understand the matter and marched on with their heads cast down, many of them pictures of wretchedness and despair. There were women, some with infants in their arms, others leading little children by the hand. A large number appeared to be girls of all ages who walked together with scanty garments, but unencumbered by the loads which were carried by most of the rest. Then came a gang of boys, many of whom limped sadly as their drivers compelled them to move forward at the point of spears. Some few old men were among them, who were tottering under loads too heavy for their frail limbs to bear, and then came a numerous body of men, secured two and two by heavy poles, with their necks bolted into forks, one at either end of the pole. Some trod the earth boldly, others tottered at every step, trying to exert themselves to avoid prods from the points of the spears with which their drivers were constantly threatening them. Such had too probably been their mode of journeying for many weary miles of desert, since they had fallen into the hands of their persecutors. "'I wonder how many of those poor wretches have sunk down and died on the road,' observed Tom, "'or been knocked on the head by those wretched Arabs.' "'Faith, it makes one's blood boil,' cried Desmond. "'In spite of all odds, I should like to pounce down upon them "'and set the poor negroes free.' "'The men expressed themselves much in the same strain "'and would very willingly have followed the midshipmen "'had they acted according to their wishes, "'but both knew that they had no business to leave their post, "'even had there been any probability of success. "'Boats now came off from the dows, "'and the business of transporting the slaves on board commenced.' while an armed party of Arabs was drawn up near the foot of the Cape to prevent any attempt which might be made by the British seamen to interfere with their proceedings. Nearly all the slaves had been got on board, 
when the Arabs, no longer being engaged in guarding them, began to show evident signs that their intentions were hostile. Presently a personage of more importance, probably the chief slave dealer, arrived, with several additional armed attendants. The midshipman saw the other Arabs pointing them out to him. A consultation which was then held resulted, apparently, in a resolution to attack them. Shouts and cries of hatred arose from the assembled Arabs, who, flourishing their weapons, advanced towards the hill, evidently with the intention of climbing it. End of section 13